difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'ma show them freedom like a bone cutter. We gon' fight back. Yeah. We breaking chains over here. Yeah. And you can stay over there. Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And now join me on the line. This man here, well, he is now armed with a new promotional deal. He is coming off a big first-round knockout. Well, when that happens, you know the plants are aligned and big things are going to happen for this young man here. I give you all the way right now somewhere in California or Vegas in a warm place better than I am. I give you it is undefeated boxing sensation. I give you Omar Juarez. Uh, Omar, let's start off here with uh, the first big question. How nice does it feel now knowing that no matter what happens this year, you will have fights. There will be, if promoter has a TV deal, there means there's going to be fights and you are guaranteed at least several fights this year. It's honestly, it's, it's a blessing. I, I always, I, I never take it for granted. And I always tell myself that I'm, I'm, going to be forever grateful you know for for pbc for all handing for it, my managers everything that's been going on i was blessed to be able to get four fights in this year when there were fighters i only got one and even none so it's a blessing it really is let's talk about last year uh for 2020 it stunk for a lot of people you it was pretty good i mean as you said you had three fights um all three decision victories including a very impressive win over willie shaw how big was that for you, getting, you know, a win against a guy like Shaw, who 12-1, and one, won three straight, thinks he's going to win, thinks he's going to beat you, and you went out there and you took care of business? I mean, it was a very good experience for me. And a lot of people, of course, you know, the, the, the fans, they want to see an action-packed fight. And it's just styles make fights. And that fight, I knew in particular, was going to be a chess match. And I knew it was going to be – it was going to be a hard fighter after a while. I mean, the the fights that they were only putting in, in the beginning of, of the pandemic, it had to be really, really good uh, fights. It couldn't be, you know, those fights where they end in one, two rounds. So I knew who, who I was up against, what I was up against. And I mean, we learned a lot from that fight, but it was forever. I'm going to forever going to be, going to be grateful for my managers for, you know, guiding me to the top the right way. When you say style styles make fights, how tough is it sometimes when you have fights like that? I have fights like that could have linger in. You're trying to impress people. You're trying to make a name for yourself. And, you know, you know, fighting on a card where sometimes another guy goes and he gets a knockout. And as you said, it's nothing you can do. You're taking on guys who are just double tough. They know how to survive. Their style is very wonky. How tough is it trying to, you know, impress people when – a lot of people just say, well, we want knockouts. That's all we care about. We want knockouts. And it's like, it's much tougher than that. Yeah, de- definitely. It's, I mean, when I say styles make fights, it's, um, I mean, for example, one fighter will beat this fighter. The fighter that lost could beat the other fighter. I mean, it's, it's, it's different. It's different when you're in the ring. But really what the, the, the thing with, with Shaw and I was that we're both counterpunchers. And the, the counterpunchers, I mean, the, it's really the, the counter punches are there just to score points. And that's exactly what we we're trying to do. Just to try to score points in, in the fight. And I mean, we ended up beating him, but it, it was, it was, it was a blessing to be there. And I get that part. As I said, I remember watching you against Dakota Linger and technically you're doing everything perfectly. You're, you're landing a lot of counter shots. He's coming in there. He's, you know, you are hurting him. And yet because of his, that tough man MMA background, he knows just, 
how to sometimes hold on, how to sometimes just, you know, get you off or throw you off just enough so he can escape. I mean, how tough is it when you fight guys like that? And they're so awkward that you can't really prepare. Yeah. It, it, you know, you have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what, do, what they're doing. And it's like, okay, how the hell do I take on a guy like that? No, nah, I mean, it's it's um, it's more of the training. You got to be training for anything, training for the most important part about the training camp is you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's exactly how it is in the fight. That t- that type of fighter, Linger, was there to make me feel uncomfortable. And if I would have panicked in any situation, if I would have just put my hands down a little bit more, I probably would have gone caught. But I feel like, you know, every fighter is different, but I, I, I had to handle the situation, you know, very calmly. We're going to go back to this and a whole lot more. Take me to the COVID for you in terms of, as you said, you fought this in in February. You did a fantastic job. And then all of a sudden, there's that long layoff. And usually, as we saw in 2019, it was, all right, every two months you're fighting. Every maybe two or three months you're fighting. Here, it was six months. I'm guessing there were times for you going came to go to the gym. How tough was it sometimes just not vegging out, picking out, or freaking out because there's no word, and you're trying to figure out what am I going to fight, what am I going to put food on the table, when am I going to be, when will I be able to leave the house legally? Yeah, it, I mean, at first it was scary. You know, when you think about it, there's really no answer to what's going to happen. But my brother and I, we we were staying busy. My 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 coaches would tell me, you know, as soon as things go back, they're going to want to look for fighters that are ready, that have been staying ready during the quarantine, during everything that's been going on. So that's exactly what we were doing. We were just training there at the house, using what we can. But no, nah, I, I didn't gain too much weight or anything like that. We were just staying busy and most importantly, staying you know together as a family. One of the things that a lot of people don't know, and you would appreciate this more than us, guys like you, you know, during these years, during the summer and you know, fall when there's a lot of boxing, you'll be rent, you'll you'll be hired as sparring partners. You go to these big camps, you'll work with with top fighters, you'll learn from them. How much did you miss? Did you miss it this year during the COVID? Where I'm guessing, you know, certain camps you want to work with, or certain fighters you want to work with, and it didn't happen because they aren't fighting, or you know, their training camps got moved, or just something happened and you couldn't have that experience. It it was it did affect us a little bit, but I mean, since we didn't have any fights, we weren't really training for anything. But as soon as we got a fight, we were blessed to be able to go to to Vegas. We helped out uh, Tank uh, Garante Davis for a couple of rounds, and I mean, overall that 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 Las Vegas work is crazy. We also got some work with uh, the top rec uh, prospect Gabriel Flores. We got some good rounds with him too. And it's that it's that kind of work that you know you you have to you really really be dedicated to go over there and, and really show out and that that's exactly what we were you know planning to do. I feel like in the quarantine it was more like we gotta wait until we actually get a fight date because they didn't they didn't let me know that I was gonna fight in August that on that first uh, fight after the quarantine they didn't let me know I was gonna fight maybe two months before so I had you know time to train. Tell me about the bubble here, because I, I've talked with several guys, MMA, boxing, and they all say it's weird now because you you basically in lockdown when you go to a fight week. And usually fight week, you go, you know, you various times you can go out, walk the streets, get a run in, do you know, you basically have more freedom sometimes just unwind. And here, you're locked in a bubble. You can go out, you can eat, you can train, but you got to go back to the bubble. You go to your hotel room. Uh, that first time out, how weird was it? How tough was it just not being able to – just, you know, sometimes going up because you want to walk because, hey, you go outside, you might get COVID. No, nah, it, it was 
I mean, for me personally, it was good. I love being alone. I love being in peace and quiet. You know, my dad and I, my, my coach and I, we were all in separate rooms. I was alone in my room. We were there from Monday all the way till, you know, Sunday when we left for the airport. And I mean, at first when we got there, it was just, of course, we had to worry about the weight. It was different. Every fighter is like assigned to an hour inside the workout room. And then it's not even that hot inside of there. There's barely any stuff to eat. I mean, it's it's difficult, but it can be done. But now it didn't, it didn't phase me too much. I was just, you know, I was there. It was actually more beneficial for me. You know, I was meditating more, concentrating more on my fight. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we got it's Omar Warriors here on the show. We're talking all things, of course, COVID. We're talking his PBC deal. As this young man here is, once again, one of the newest signings of the Premier Boxing uh, Championship. I got to ask because people, you know, there's always nicknames. People have stuff here. And I got, how did you get your nickname? It's for those who know, it's El Relampango. Uh, what does it mean? How, what is, how did you get it? How did this all start in the beginning? It's um, El Relampo, and that's uh, Spanish for lightning. And the way I got it was ever since I was smaller, my hands were really fast. And my dad, you know, he wanted, I told him I wanted to be called lightning. So he told me, you know, we should put it in Spanish since your last name is Juarez. And, you know, Mexicans, we have the biggest fan base. So everybody, it was catchy. Everybody liked it. Speaking of that, I mean, as we said, it's, Vic Sales are, I'm sorry, Nestor Gibbs on the show with a boxing voice. And I meant, I pointed out to him and he's mentioned it also. It seems the PBC has been, you know, deep, you know, digging into the, you know, Hispanic community more for fighters. They're getting more active. They're getting more recruiting here. What does that mean for you when you know it's, you know, you're part of this new generation where they're building for the future. They see you as part of that future. You know, they, when the Thurmans are gone, when the Spencers are gone, you'll take, you know, that next step and be the next star. How much does that help you with, you know, those dog days of camp when you go, okay, they have faith in me. They see something in me that they want to do business with me. Oh, it's a blessing, man. Honestly, it's a dream come true. It's stuff that I've only seen in my dreams where I'm training alongside, you know, Mayweather and people like that. You know, it's just, it's surreal. It still hasn't processed to this day. I'm just, you know, going with the flow, always going forward, never looking back. But, you know, I can enjoy it when I'm done. I, I still have. So I have a long road ahead of me. How much have you had to sacrifice to get to this point? And when I sacrifice, most people think, oh, it's easy to box. Yeah, I can. I, I'm good. I was a former you know, college football player, basketball player. I can go in there and, you know, spar some rounds and, you know, get in there and ring. It's it's tough, you know, when it's, for years you've been doing this craft where you've been going from four rounds to six rounds to eight rounds. Now you get ready for 10 rounds, you know, with constant road work, with tournaments, all this. How, what are some of the things you've had to sacrifice along the way just to get to this point, let alone become a world champion down the ladder of the road? I've, I've dedicated my life to the sport. I've sacrificed, you know, everything. When when it comes to, I mean, when I was eight years old, last days of school, we would go to the school. Everybody we have, everybody would be having parties, and I was the only one dieting because right after school, we we're going to have to go to a tournament. I missed my older brother's graduation because I was out in tournaments. I mean, I missed so much parties, get-togethers. I lost friends. I mean, relatives have not believed in us. It's everything, bro. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of stuff, but at the end, it all pays off, and that's that's the best feeling ever. So, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really phase me, but I have gone through a, a lot a lot of stuff, you know, personally. So it's 
it's a beautiful road, but bumpy road as well. How do you keep the love? I mean, as you said, you've been doing this for eight years. You're now 21. That means it's 13 years. That's longer than most adults have like cars or careers. And as I said, we, we don't see the stuff that you've gone through, I'm guessing, where maybe broken bones in your hand, maybe cuts. There's been hard days at camp and your legs are, you know, tired. As you said, you've given, you know, you've been days probably you're just cramping because of a weight cut or, you know, you're, you have mat burn somewhere from rope burn because of, you've been training on the rope and sparring. You've gone through all this here and it can break you because as you said, you're not getting big money. It's not like you're an NFL player or an NBA player where you get a million dollar contract coming right into the pros. No, you got to earn it. What makes you still love a sport that after all this suffering, you're still going to the gym, plugging away and plugging away, you're not hating it? Well, I, I always tell myself that no matter what, for the example I love to use is Andre Ward. I mean, he, he grew up without his parents. I believe at 10 years old, his dad passed away. He ended up going with Virgil Hunter. Um, if he could become an Olympic gold medalist and he could become a world champion known as one of the greats, after going through all that, when I mean, one day being sore from my legs or having pain here and there or getting hit in the face a couple of times during sparring isn't going to do anything. I mean, I got I always have to keep going. And, I mean, tough times don't last. I always tell myself that during uh, training camp because every training camp, there has, to, there has to be something going wrong in order for us to fix it. Because if there's always training camps that go fluently, then, I mean, we must be doing something wrong. Very heavily, Jim. Once again, we are proud to have it's uh... – one of a rising stars of the PBC and a man who is, well, he's hoping to make 2021 a much bigger year and take that next leap. I give you once again, uh, Brownville to Brownsville, Texas zone. I give you Omar Juarez. Uh, Omar, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out? Where's the Twitter page, Instagram, the website, where can fans hit you up at? On Facebook, I have my Facebook page, Omar El Relampo Juarez on Instagram and Twitter at I am Omar Juarez. Omar Juarez, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have him on the show. We wish him very well in his uh, pro, pro career. We'll be following along with him. We come back, though, we got a whole lot more. Only on it is Last Call. Last Call of the day without the alcohol. Only on the Blue Water Hustle Network. Getting ready for the Olympics. This young lady here, well, she's 
she she was at one point you know competing for the Olympics. Now she's developing the next challenges for the future Olympic generation. Plus, she has another job. As I said, busy woman here. We're happy to get her on. I give you real estate agent slash wrestling coach slash former Olympian. I give you with Haley Aguello. Uh, Haley, let's start off here with the big question. Uh, when did you decide it was you were ready to retire? Like after all these years of competing and knowing you as competitive, like what made you decide, okay, now it's time for me to step away? Um, I think when I look back on it and process it all, I think I was kind of ready um, to be done after the 2017 Worlds. Um, but I had, you know, kind of had a lot of people in my corner that, and me, like that still thought, you know, I could make this team, but I was kind of getting burnt out and I wasn't really enjoying the process anymore. So that's like when the, I guess the seed first planted in my head. Um, but I like was trying to fulfill my commitment to the, to the quad and, you know, really just like push, push through and work hard and try to get that gold medal that I didn't get in 2016. Um, and then with COVID and then pushing it back another year, it just didn't seem like something I was willing to keep like waiting around for. Um, and it was something, you know, I, that was already in my head and I, you know, I was kind of really looking forward to that part of 2020 of, you know, making that team, getting a medal and then, you know, leaving my shoes out on the mat. Um, so when I heard all this talk about pushing the Olympics back and then in my head, I'm like, I don't even think they're going to have one. So I think that was kind of like the straw in the camel's back where I was like, now is the time to pull the trigger. Um, I can't keep stringing myself along, my fans, and then also my coaches who are putting all this time into me when my heart's not in it. How much of it is also, and I've, I've had the pleasure of having you, Helma Rulis, um, Kyle Snyder, Jaden Cox, Robbie Smith, even guys like Frank Molinar who retired. And so when they talk to retirees, always – we want to have a life, you know, we won't be able to go out have some food, you know, not have to wake up next morning and go, crap, am I, am I two pounds over? Do I have to worry about weight, cutting weight? How much has this also been about, okay, I want to have a normal life and be able to live, in, you know, a regular, you know, nine to five job, be able to have friends, eat food and not worry about, yeah. crap, I got to do a two mile run tomorrow just to get rid of that weight. Um. I don't think really any of the hard work or the weight cutting really went into play. I just really truly didn't enjoy training anymore. I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't look forward to going to practice. I didn't, wasn't really keeping my mind open to learning anything new. I was kind of just like, I can't wait to get in and get out and then go on with my day. Um, so I don't think any of those factors really played a role, but it definitely is nice. Um, now that I am out of it um, to kind of see all the perks that like, I, I didn't realize I was missing out on like, you know, being able to have that glass of wine or that beer or have a whole slab of ribs if I'm feeling really hungry. Like, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of freedom. Um, and then also the financial part of it, you know, I'm 26 years old and I sacrificed a lot. I'm 26 years old. I don't have my degree. I don't have any savings. <laughs> I don't have a job. So um, I was kind of taking a leap of faith and like, just hoping like, the stars aligned for me um, because I wasn't financially stable when I decided to make this decision because with women's wrestling, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to really make a career off of it because the money is just not there. Um, so I think financially, I feel like that's like been the most pleasant surprise of this journey being of my wrestling journey being over because now 
um, you know, when I work, I see a reward in cash. <laughs> like with wrestling, you work hard and you maybe see a medal. <laughs> like with working, I go to work, I put the hours in and then at the end of the night, I get a paycheck. So I think that's just been a pleasant surprise. And kind of my favorite part of it all is finally like having that financial stability that I kind of didn't realize is a huge deal because I was only focused on training and I already had everything paid for through USA wrestling and sponsorships. So now you're coaching and I got to ask why, because that's a tough job. You got to be patient. You got to be understanding. You got to be demanding. You got to be tough, but you got to be, you know, easy going here all at once. That's a lot of things to do. What made you decide to coach and, and why coach now after everything you've gone through? So I was not looking to go into coaching. I kind of left the sport with a bad taste in my mouth. Um, so <laughs> when I was reached out to by Beat the Streets Chicago, um, it was a pleasant surprise again. Like, I feel like after I decided and finally like pulled the trigger on retiring, all these things came into my life that were just like kind of perfect for me because I do, um, I never wanted to coach college. That was never something that was in my agenda. I, that's like, I, I mesh well with the younger crowd and with kids and um, especially getting an opportunity to work with kids, which I'm already good at, but then kids that need me more than, um, you know, other kids might like, you know, inner, inner city youth that's, you know, has trouble at home or, you know, doesn't have stability. Um, I think that's what was so enticing for this coaching job. Um, cause I probably would not have taken another coaching job. It was just happened to be this circumstance where I can give back, um, and work with the age group that I enjoy working with. Now, when you say speak the streets, so like these are inner city kids you're teaching wrestling to. And I guess the question is how much of this is for you to teach them like the rudimentary stuff, you know, the basics and how much so, you know, patience does it take sometimes having to go over and over and over the same thing because, well, you got it probably right away. These kids are going, I have no idea how to do a double leg takedown. I have no idea. What do you mean, you know, uh, you know, switch? What the hell do you mean here? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, we haven't been working out in person yet. So, I haven't had that opportunity to be challenged yet. Um, everything's virtual as of right now. Um, but I think one of the reasons I've always worked well with kids, um, not maybe coaching full time, but with clinics, is because I like – I like giving those kids those basics and then letting them run with it. Like that's one thing I like to tell kids like for all, all ages, like wrestling's not black and white. I can teach you something and then you can make it your own. So I think, you know, I'm like, it may be frustrating if you're trying to go in and I'm going to teach the Haley Agello double leg. That's what I'm going to teach. No, you have to teach them a double leg and let it make it, let them make it their double leg. So I feel like that's why I like, I just like letting them have their creativity with it. And, you know, um, the basics I can give them that and then they can just make it what they want and that's like the beautiful part of working with kids you also you know, you've been working on your real estate degree, real estate license and all that so what made you decide to do that because that's as you said whether you go from one thing where it's a lot of intense law work to one to another job where it's put on happy face you sell you patient and well you, you got to know how to just sometimes hustle people here why real estate? What was that? What was what made you fall in love with that? So when I got home and I decided to, um, you know, hang up the wrestling shoes, I just like felt really ambitious. And I was kind of just like dipping my toe into all these waters, seeing what I wanted to do next. And I had um, a 
uh, old um, teammates mom reach out to me and um, because I am back in Lockport and I I'm pretty sure I think I was the only Olympian from Lockport so that's like it kind of has been very helpful that I have that like weight to my name because I've had you know I've had people you know in real estate and business and all these things kind of reach out to me knowing that I moved home and wanting to put that you know, Haley Agello name in their company. So I'm very lucky. Um, so I had a, an ex-teammate's um, mom reach out and she was like, you should just, you know, try to get, take the test, see how you do. Um, and I passed on the first try. So yeah, now I'm accepting a job with Coldwell Banker. So I'm excited about that. I haven't started working yet, but yeah, I'm excited. I, you know, I just want to, I just want to see what I can do and just keep pushing myself. You know, even though wrestling's over, I don't want to like become, complacent and like sedentary and like comfortable I want to keep growing and making money I just want that money <laughs> if you're just tuning in ladies and gentlemen once again on the Blue Wire Hustle Network we've got it's Haley Aguello here former 2016 Olympian uh, so have when you how much have this a lot of stuff for you been eye-opening in terms of now people recognize you I mean as you said you have an advantage over a lot of real estate agents that you are a celebrity so there are people who can go Oh my God, you're, you're the first ever Olympian. I, I saw you wrestle. How much do you, how much does it help sometimes, you know, just getting your foot in the door because people at least know who the hell you are? It's so weird because I feel like over the years since 2016, it feels like a whole lifetime ago. Like sometimes I even forget I went to the Olympics. So it's like kind of gives me like a renewed excitement of that experience and of the hard work I put in to do it because you know, like after the Olympics, life goes, life goes on and you, you keep going on, you keep moving forward. And, and it's something you kind of just, I don't want to say forget about, but it's not something you think about every day. So like moving home and like having that renewed excitement about, you know, that it's like, it reminds me of how hard I did work to get there because at times, you know, when I think back to the last couple of years of my career, I didn't have the best performances. So it's nice to be reminded of a time where you know, I had, a, I, you know, worked hard and made a team and to have people remember and, you know, want to help me out because of it. I, I feel very lucky. Last question, I'll let you go. How often do you get the itch? I mean, how often do you just sit there sometimes to go, I'd like one more run, whether it's yeah. um, you may be no. doing MMA or doing some regular no. tournament. I mean, how much do you miss the, you know, the competing? No, I'm not there yet. I'm happy. I, I'm happy. I'm feeling good. I don't miss it quite yet. <laughs> um, I'm sure there will come a day where I miss it. But right now, I feel like it's just so fresh that I'm just enjoying this transitional period in my life. And um, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. Very happy, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we are proud to have on the show. Once again, it's former 2016 uh, Olympian, now real stage and slash wrestling coach. I give you it's Haley Aguello. Haley, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, the website? Where, where if if even people won't work out, where can fans check out where to, I guess, to uh, be coached by you if they have little kids who they won't get to wrestle? Yeah. So my Twitter handle is at Hey H A Y Aguello A U G E L L O, and then my Instagram is just Haley Aguello. Um, yeah. So that's where you can find me. Haley Aguilar, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we're proud to have her on the show. When we come back, though, we got a whole lot more only on it is Last Call. Last Call that the alcohol only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network.
Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And, well, we had a wild Monday here. already want to thank my wonderful guests. We had, of course, Haley Aguilar, who talked about post-wrestling. We had, of course, uh, Omar Juarez, who did a deep dive on his career, what's going on with him. But now joining me on the line, this man here, well, what can I say? A former UFC star, a man who fought for titles, who is an All-American wrestler. Well, he's done it all, and now he is uh, giving his thoughts on what's going on, talking about what's happened with the sport, with good, the bad, the ugly, and, well, he plans to uh, shed some light on a lot of questions. Once again, I give you Gray Maynard. Uh, Gray, welcome back to the show. Uh, let's dive deep, uh, dive deep into it. Spencer Fisher came out this week saying, I have CTE. I have a lot of problems here. On a personal note, because you go through this here, you know this better than us. How many fighters worry about this? I mean, when you guys have time to think, and, you know, just not, not a fight, do you guys ever worry that this could be me you know, down the road when yeah. 40 and 50? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the younger guys just getting into the sport, you know, it, it's kind of more of a joke, you know, to them as far as like, oh, you know, I get punched in my head. I've, you know, um, uh, it, it it's more of a joke to them about that. Like, yeah, I forgot to do the dishes, you know, today talking to their wife, you know, I get punched in my head for a living. But it, it really is like uh, uh, serious you know, as it gets, you know, um, you know, I know Spencer, I don't know his exact, I had, I don't know his exact diagnosis, but, um, what I heard is it's, uh, beginning stages of dementia, you know, and that's, um, that's, that's as serious as it gets, you know, and, and before Spencer, you know, I've known a lot of guys who had to retire because, they had um, uh, symptoms, whether it was like nausea, depression, um, couldn't couldn't even look at light, you know, uh, f- you know, for a long time, and then and then it was more um, they recovered over whether it was a year, two years, you know, but they had to retire. How tough is it? Sort of, you know, as you said, the younger guys, they joke about this. And I get it. When you're young, you feel invincible. You can do anything. Yeah. You on your head. Yeah. Oh, I'm back up and running yeah, here. Yep, yep. You talk to these guys. You know them. How tough is it sometimes explaining to them the bill comes due? Because, you know, this, the, head, the head was not meant to be a punching bag. You know, all these yeah. shots take their toll. Yeah. And and I try to to come at them at an angle because I know where they're at. Right. And I know how it is. You know, I try to come at them like at more of an angle of a training aspect. Like, hey, dude, you don't need to put your body through sparring day after day after day. And and way back in the day, that's that's kind of what we did. And but there's still a lot of people that are are putting in uh, way too many miles on, you know, their body sparring uh, hard live goes and and. You know, it takes us. It takes an effect, and 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 just the brain. You know, you got the brain, of course, but but you got your heart. You got your um, you got your joints. You got a lot of stuff that's gonna. <laughs> there's gonna be a price to be paid, and you know. So I talk about them 
you know, I talked to them about, uh, you know, training smarter, having a plan, um, uh, to do your training camps and, 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 you know, kind of letting your body, uh, recover. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's all encompassing, you know, with training and, and your lifestyle, your lifestyle, you know, these guys will do a camp and not drinking and eating healthy. And then the minute that camp's done, they're eating like crap. Um, they're, uh, you know, drinking, partying, whatever it is, no sleep. And, uh, you know, that takes a toll on you as well. Um, you know, brain health is directly, is directly, you know, connected to your gut health. There's a gut brain connection. And, um, you know, that's, that's a big portion that we don't talk about a lot. Take me to you because you became famous and beloved for Frankie Edgar two and three. Those are just yeah. knockout dragon fights. And I always wondered that when fights like that happen and like, like Lawler and uh, Hendricks, Lawler yeah. and Condit, they take years off of you. I mean, you're never the same because I'm guessing after those two Edgar fights for you, it was just, you could feel yourself, and maybe I'm wrong, but you could literally feel yourself just get old because you took damage. I mean, even when you, even when Frankie's yeah. not really rocking you, he's still landing lots of shots, lots of punches. You're doing the same to him. Yeah. Did were you did, when you look back? Were you ever the same after those wars, or did it take a lot out of you? Yeah, I mean it. It's it's uh, it, you know, it didn't take a lot out of me, like the actual. Um, actual competition but the years and years of training you know and sparring and 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 even that didn't take a lot out of me I mean at the time you're 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 tired you're drained or you're beat up whatever but your body is an amazing um like amazing as far as you can heal if you let it heal if you allow it to heal if you help it heal and, um, you know, the actual f competition with Edgar and uh, training, I mean, it didn't really take a lot out of me. What took a lot out of me was was dealing with the contracts and the sports and, and, and like, never getting ahead. That's what took a lot out of me. And that's what kind of um, pushed me away from, from, you know, kind of loving the sport. Yep. That's the truth, man. It, it, that's where, that's where it turned is when I'm given, you know, um, the best fights main event pay-per-view and I'm still like struggling to pay bills, like barely getting ahead, you know, that's, that, that's what took a lot out of it, you know, to where it's like, man, is all this worth it? <laughs> is, is putting my body through all this stuff worth it when I'm still guaranteed when I walk to the cage, for Frankie Edgar two guaranteed 26 grand. Then, then the, then the, the last one I was guaranteed, yeah, I was guaranteed 42 grand. That's what took it out. That's what, you know, that's what took a lot out of me. How do you fix it? And when I say fix it, I mean, I know we have free agency now you get all these sort of organizations and one of CC yeah. been paying a lot Bellator, but, you see, you see yeah. it. I mean, these kids, you know, a lot of these guys go, I want to go to the UFC. 
and they make yeah. it known, and, you, and I'm guessing you and the managers look and go, please shut up. We're trying to get you more money. They're going to yeah. lowball you because you know yeah. we're going to take it. Yeah. How yeah. tough is it explain to all these fighters, like, you need to be smart. You need to know how to negotiate yeah. when they just won't get there. They want to get to the show and they don't care. They don't, there there, there is no less. negotiation, really. There is no negotiation, really. If you look at, if you look at it, there is nothing legally or, or uh, there's no rules or laws that protect the fighters in a financially or contractually way. None. If they could get a guy to fight in a main event pay-per-view, if they could talk him into $100, they could get away with that because there's no rules. There's no laws that protect us in any way. You know, the Ali Act will be a big start. You know, the UFC locks guys into contracts, eight-fight contracts, eight-fight contracts. You know, I've been in eight fight contracts. I was in a nine fight contract after my TV show. Look at this. I went almost eight no in that contract and barely went up any. I was still making eight and eight, ten and oh, or, you know, eight and eight, like 10 and 10, 12 and 12. That's eight fights out without lock, without eight wins in a row, you know. Nine fights without a loss, 10 fights without a loss. And I get bumped up to 42, 42, like after that, uh, um, uh, Edgar, like, that's what we need. We got it. We got it. We can't be, because when you're competing, you have a point to where you, to where, you know, you're a star, you kind of get big. But when you're locked into a contract, you can't really renegotiate that contract, right? And that's what the Ali Act does, is every fight, it's a new contract. Critics will say, and, and I've, as I said, I, I have mixed feelings of the Ali Act because I know it from right. talking to boxers. It ain't the greatest. It's, it's good, but it's not the greatest. Right. But it helps boxers that, hey, there's tons of networks. There's tons right. of moments. You can negotiate. Right. You have several and eight options doesn't matter if you're top rank pbc right as i said there's no this well if you're not here you, you just suck how much yeah. does it hurt that as you and you and i know this they want to go yeah. to ufc they want to be with brand x even though bellator might offer more money even though one fc might offer them more money they'll take less because as they said they want to be in the ufc it's yeah the best to get their name on how do you break that if you i mean how do you tell the fighters look you got to look out for your own. Doesn't matter where you go. This is a business. This isn't about honor. Right. This is a business. Right. Yeah. I mean, and 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 it's hard to do because you know I deal with it all the time. Even with managers, they want their guys in the UFC to get um, to get their name out there. You know, and um, it's it's just uh, that's what the UFC has created. You know, and that's why. I'd, that's why they bought out a lot of the, a lot of the companies is to help their name get, be the, be the main stage of, of, uh, of, uh, MMA. But, you know, I know a lot of guys who would transfer over to, to Bellator if they could, but, but they're locked into contracts, if long fight contracts, you know, and, um, it's kind of like me in college. Um, 
back when I was in college, if you, if you transferred to a school and your coach didn't, um, didn't release you, you would have to lose a year, right? That's a year of competition. There's not many years in college, you know, in college to be able to compete. You have four years. That's it. You know, and I wanted to transfer, but my coach, he's like, I'm not going to release you, you know? And, um, and I couldn't justify that, like, um, you know, to lose a whole year of competition, you know, to, to go through the legal struggles or to go through all that, you know, and you look at Alvarez, uh, Eddie Alvarez, he was dealing with a bunch of legal, um, uh, issues and he lost a lot of good years, you know, because of that when he was, when he was trying to get out of the Bellator contract, when, uh, Bjorn was the promoter. You know, and it just comes down to those contracts that that, you know, like bind you up and um, really doesn't allow you to to um, to get out in the free market. Um, you know, and then if you're on your last. Last uh, fight of the contract, it's it's um, well, let's renegotiate or well, let's well, let's get you a new contract. Well, no, you know, I don't want to do that. All right. We're going to, we're going to give him the worst possible, worst possible matchup. He can, you know, he can, that we can give him, you know, and it's all, it's all a game with them, you know, but this is, this is people's lives. This is people's, you know, lives and livelihoods. And, uh, it's hard to watch at times. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we have Gray Maynard here on the Blue Wire Hustle Network's last call. We're talking all things, of course, contracts. We're talking uh, Spencer Fisher. We're talking with Toll. I see this a lot. I've seen it more and more now at fights, and I'm getting very upset. Maybe you can help me out here. We've seen Pennington Nunez. Her corner goes, no, suck it up, get in there, and in the fifth round when you can tell the fighter is uh, literally just can't win. We saw yeah. that with Gavin Tucker and uh, Rick Glenn, where Rick Glenn is basically breaking Tucker's jaw. Everybody yeah. sees the fight and the corner going, I'm going to keep going out there. Yeah. Does it bother you that even, even with everything that's going on, but there, there's still a lot of coaches who go, nope, we're, we will never throw in the towel. These guys yeah. are warriors. They deserve it. And yeah. you and I both know the fighters need an adult. They're, they're the kids. There's got to be an adult. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he dies, he dies almost. It's mentality. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I know love people. Yeah, I know people love to, to, um, to kind of, you know, compare, uh, like, the sport as you know, no holds barred, and and you know, but there's still people out there. And again, with the growth of the sport is going to become more rules, going to become more um, just regulations on all aspects, as far as uh, the contracts, as far as um, the pay, as far as coaching, you know, coaching, like you can be a person's buddy and still like coach him if you talk him into it. And that's what I'm seeing a lot with. There's some great coaches out there. Don't get me wrong. There's some awesome coaches, 
but you know, there's still a ton of coaches who, who, you know, this is my dream is to be in the UFC corner, but they don't know what they're talking about. They've never done combat sports. They've never done, you know, they just learned some pad work or they learned some jujitsu and, and it's like, Oh yeah, I'm a coach now, you know? And then, um, the whole, they'll actually train a guy to go into, to compete against a guy who, um, you know, who's trying to hurt him, <laughs> you know, and they don't understand what it's like to be in there. Um, you know, in wrestling, there's really not too many college coaches or coaches in general who haven't wrestled, you know, it's hard to teach that sport if you've never competed in that sport, you know, just mentally, uh, physically, you know, and, um, but, you know, again, with the growth of the sport is going to become a lot of change. And, and, you know, I would love um, kind of for it to happen now, but it's going to take time, you know, and that's, that's another huge, huge part of the sport that needs to change. You know, there's, there's coaches out there who, you know, they're all into the combos and, Oh, check out this combo. This combo is awesome. And that's great, but it's like, what about training? What about preserving his health? What about um, trying to help him get the most career out of his body? Um, you know, and and uh, they have no idea about that. You know, I talk to coaches, and I'm like, okay, well, well, how do you, um, you know, how do you pres- like, how do you how do you help a guy long-term, you know, with your training? And he's just like, what are you talking about? You know, well, I give him these combos. These combos are awesome. <laughs> or check out these jujitsu moves. Well, you know, moves and combos are going to come, but it's the actual how to train a guy is, is way more important. I hate to say this, but, for things need to change, will it take somebody to die in the, in the, in the cage? And I'm, I'm not talking about because of weight cuts are all bad. I'm talking, you know, UFC belt or somebody to get in there, get killed because they took too much punishment. They probably got hit yeah. to the head. The coach didn't stop it. I mean, is that yeah. what it's going to take for coaches to maybe take this more seriously? Because you and I have seen it. They're still yeah. And Mark Montoya is, a, is supposed to be one of the top coaches in the business. He has a lot of guys. James Krause, Ian Hennish, Anthony Smith. And yeah. you and I saw that fight with Anthony and Glover Teixeira. They kept throwing him out there, throwing him out there, feeling his no. But the fighters telling us no, we're honoring the fighters' yeah. wishes. Yeah. What's it going to take for the coach to realize this, this, this will end badly? There is a, there is a price to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, changes are, you know, changes already come and, 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 it's probably not as quick as we want it to be, but like if you take where I was in, you know, 08 and, and how people were training and um, it's, it's, it's definitely come a long way. You know, I was hiring NFL coaches, you know, to help me organize my camp the way that they help organize, you know, an NFL team, you know, um, you go to an NFL practice, they're not hitting every day anymore. Why? Because they need to make the most out of their careers. 
the coaches need them to make the most out of their careers. They need to be healthy. And, um, you know, like you look at that sport and it's changed completely in practice. And, uh, you know, I hired NFL coaches. I hired endurance coaches. I hired, um, you know, people to, to keep track of my heart, the heart rate, my, uh, you know, HRV and, and just to help me organize these camps. Uh, now the USCPI is kind of trying to help do that a little bit. And, uh, but it's hard because you're dealing with coaches who are stuck in their ways. Well, no, this is how, uh, you know, I trained a guy, uh, you know, and he won 10 fights, you know, so that's how this guy should train. And, and, you know, combat sports, it's, it's, um, it's not a plus B equals uh, C it's, it's equations because everybody's different. You know, every, uh, every, uh, athlete is, is, um, completely different. And, um, do I think a person has to die to change a sport? I hope not. I really hope not. But, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of changes happening now, you know, especially on the legal, uh, on the legal part. And, um, you know, and again, there's a lot of guys who are getting terrible coaching because they can't afford good coaching. <laughs> like when you're making 10 and 10, like what kind of coaching can you pay if you lose? You walk away with $10,000 in the UFC. Like, you take taxes away, you take living expenses away. Like, what do you, like, how do you pay a coach with that? A good coach who's worth something, you know, and that's the problem. There's a lot of coaches who are good. Like I had to pay the, uh, when I had the NFL coach, he's a head strength and conditioning coach. Um, he was at the Jaguars like back then. And then he went to the Broncos but, um, you know, and he was helping me organize. He was helping me um, uh, just being smarter about training. But um, he was expensive. <laughs> he was expensive. Walking to the cage for the Edgar, um, too, it, you know, like I would have lost money if I would have lost and only made 26 grand. Literally just lost. Like I was already way over that. You know, and um, to to be able to 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 get good coaching, you have to pay for it. He knew his worth. He's like, dude, I can't coach you for what you're paying these guys. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get it. You know, you know, and that's another problem is all the coaches. That's their money too. Like, hey, we got to get you a fight. <laughs> I need money. <laughs> But there is no money that they're making when you're at 10 and 10, 8 and 8, 12 and 12, even 20 and 20. Like you lose that fight. You pay taxes. You pay your coaches. You have 10 grand to live off of. Who tells the fighters? Last question before we'll let you go because I know we're pressed for time and you have a lot of things going on in your life. Who has the right to tell the fighters to retire or that they should retire or advise them? Because 
I know the media doesn't want to do it because their feeling is, well, we, we yeah. have no idea. We should stay out of it. Some say it should be the family, but the family needs the money. So they they don't want to you know get rid of the, yeah. the apple cart. They say doctors, but as you said, any fighter can find a doctor who will just say, yeah, you can still fight. Yeah. Who should be the guy to tell the fighter sometimes, hey, you need to stop. We're, yeah. we're begging you to stop because this is going, you know, it's no longer fun. It's you're now getting hurt. You're now taking too much punch. We we care. Yeah. We don't want to see you get hurt. Or is it just, yeah, that you is, know, and that's, that the fighter that's, has to do. that's ultimately what a commission is supposed to be for, right? Is to take the brain scans, to have neurologists evaluate the brain scans and, and uh, you know, the brain scans, the heart, everything, you know, and, and, and like, I, I really feel like the commissions, you know, need to step more in, like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to, um, uh, we're not going to give them a license, you know, but um, you've seen it with a lot of boxers who compete like way past their prime and, and, uh, you know, are doing more and more damage, um, you know, but it, it's, uh, it's gotta be something that, that, um, there's gotta be proof because when you get a guy that, that has to make money to, to put food on the table, you know, it's hard to tell him no. It's hard to tell him like, man, you're, 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 um, you can't do this, but you have to have like proof why, why he can't do this. You can't say like, Oh dude, uh, you've taken a lot of punishment and, um, you know, like, you know, I think you, you, uh, you know, I think you should retire. Well, well, give me proof, you know, pull out the brain scans. Let's check how I am. And that's why it's hard because it's like, you still feel like, like you gotta, you gotta compete. You gotta make money because you've been doing this sport your whole life. Right. You've been doing this sport for years and years and years, you know, and, and this is all you really know at times. But then again, we talk, it all goes back to money too. Like if you, if you get a guy who's pulling in eight and eight, 10 and 10, 12 and 12, even 20 and 20, 40 and 40, like at the end of that career, if, if that's, even if you're making a couple hundred grand a year, right. You pay trainers, you pay managers, you pay, uh, training costs, you pay taxes. Like, that's just like a regular job. How do you retire in like six years, even a 10 year contract, like making like at the end of the day, 80 grand a year. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we're proud to have on the show the man who is, uh, well, he's going to try to help this sport get into the new era despite them kicking and screaming. He's going to do it. I guess he's <laughs> a former, uh, former UFC title contender and All-American wrestler. I'll give you Gray Maynard. Uh, Gray, before we let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, website? Where can fans uh, contact you at? Yeah. Yeah, Twitter um... – you know, I keep it pretty complicated. It's uh, Gray Maynard, Instagram, Gray Maynard, and then um, uh, Facebook, you know. Um, and then we're going to get a website out here soon. Um, you know, my wife is 
deals with, um, you know, a lot of functional nutrition, um, kind of medicine and stuff. And, and, uh, we've been doing a lot of brain health kind of research and, and, uh, we definitely want to get a lot of information out there and, um, that'll be coming out. Just keep up with my, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and then, um, yeah. You know, if you want to email me, graymaynard at gmail.com, <laughs> ask me questions. Gray Maynard, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have him on the show, but we can wrap this up. So once again, for Gray Maynard, for Omar Juarez, for Haley uh, Aguello, this is Chris Connor saying have a great day, everyone. I'm out of here. Stay tuned for more great action, though, only on Last Call on the Blue Wire Hustle Network.